Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, Sometimes I reach out to somebody and ask them to be on the podcast, and sometimes it's somebody whose story we'd never hear. Um, And that's my guest today, my friend Nigel Bull, um, joining us from London, England. Welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. And I love hearing your English accent, Nigel. As listeners may know, I served my mission in Manchester and Liverpool, north of you, and love the people in England. Nigel, when I became an ally, we traded messages, and I look back at all the messages we traded, and we had the chance to meet at Affirmation in 2018 or 2019. Nigel made it all the way out here. Nigel's in a wheelchair. He's been in a wheelchair um, since his late 20s. He's in his 60s. He's gay, but he currently identifies as asexual. He's um, been around the LDS church. He's not active in the church right now. He actually left the church completely a couple of years ago. His names are still on the records of the church, Um, but he got baptized at age 16 and rebaptized at age 40. And like a lot of wonderful people around her faith are trying to navigate how to be a Latter-day Saint and how to be gay. And I just felt impressed. Um, Nigel doesn't have a platform. He doesn't have his own podcast. And I just felt impressed to use this platform. So Nigel's story will be forever recorded for anybody that wants to hear it. Is So Nigel, you're really brave to do this. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. I would there won't be any members of the church in Britain that would be listening to this, or any straight members, anyway. Good. Tell us, right. a, tell us about you joined the church at age sixteen. Is that right? Tell us. Are you, so you're a convert. I need to go back a couple of years before I tell you that. Okay, it's your. You go. You start wherever you want to start, Nigel. When I was 13, I went to boarding school. And as somebody who was 13, I was starting to see what my sexuality was. Boarding school was one third um, girls, two thirds boys, because it was a speech impairment school. And most of the the people with speech impairments are male. So, Dr. Phoebe, if we keep the genders apart, it will drop the sex in the school. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work. I had lots of sex in boarding school with your boys. I hope this doesn't shock any of you, if you listen to this, but I was a boy myself, remember. And I came home and I was at the first boarding school holidays and the holidays on the other world was different. I lost all my friends on the Isle of Wight. So I was lonely, 
and I was invited to go to meet you by, by a young man knocking on my door. And I went to meet you. And this later on got me to, I met the missionaries. And one of the missionaries, I fancied like mad. So I joined the church because I really fancied the missionaries. And it didn't teach me about the lower chastity. And after I was baptized, Richard, can you remember that book that met young men only? Yeah, I can. I don't remember it exactly, but yeah, I've heard of it. They give me the booklet, Young Men Only. What talk about a factory and how long it is to play with your factory and how evil homosexuality is. And I went to the missionaries and went, I'm gay. And the missionaries went, um, Panic. Not a problem. It's the bishop's problem now. Do you remember it's the bishop's problem? Go to the bishop. Oh, I forgot to say, when I was in my temple recommend, on my baptism recommend, in my Baptism interview, I wouldn't ask about my, my about uh, the Lord of Chastity neither. So I did not know anything about the Lord of Chastity before I was baptized. And so the first time I shouldn't. I've been really baptized because I wasn't worthy. I didn't go through the stages. I didn't get interviewed by the mission president or anything like that. Like you meant to be, I believe. I I did one and a half years of seminary, which was um the first thing I knew about Joseph Smith is what he would shot. And the seminary teacher looked at me and went, any questions now, Joanna? I went, who's Joseph Smith? Which was quite scary for her. But going on, my disabilities I've got cerebral palsy, I'm autistic, have autism, I said that, epilepsy, which does come into the story a little bit later on. So, there was me, a new baptized member of the church. Try to get a testimony. Try to be the best woman I could be. 
and for the age of 16 to 17, I would have been revenous interviews every other week. And usually if you baptize at 16, you get to become a priest straight away. But they thought I, it was better for me to go up the ramps. So I slowly got the priesthood. And I was slowly, I said at one time I was so far in the closet that I lived on Turkish delights. That's when that um sorry Richard, my brain comes back. Can you ask me a question? Just a comment. Um listeners, um I'm hearing a lot of this. I'm hearing this for the first time. I just um thank you for Nigel for talking about boarding school and what went on at boarding school and Sometimes that's a little uncomfortable for us, but it's the reality of your life. So I've learned to sort of sit with that and recognize it takes courage to talk about that. I'm glad you joined the church. Sounds like we didn't tell you everything about the church before you got baptized. And so sometimes these podcasts help us to do better. And um, that's part of, you know, hearing Nigel's story is how can we better support um, people joining our church? And um, especially people that are gay. Um, I, you know, so I, I reckon, I think it's really courageous of you to join the church and feel some connection here. Um, it sounds like you're at the same time, I'm starting to deal with health issues. I think you said autism. You may have said cerebral palsy. Yeah. Uh, and um, that's, you know, so you're walking a complicated road. Um, you're trying to make a new religion work. You're working through your sexuality and you're also battling health issues. So my heart kind of gets bigger for you as I hear your story and you don't have a family. You don't have parents sort of guiding you like a lot of 16 year olds are at least LDS parents. And so you're kind of walking this road along. So just keep telling your story. You could talk about your twenties, your thirties, um, I know at some point you separated yourself from the church, and I think at 40 you came back. So you could just kind of pick up the story wherever you want to. Correct. At 18, I decided I really, really wanted to serve a mission. I think partly because I was promised if I served a mission, I would become straight. It wasn't common knowledge. Hardly anybody knew in the world at the time. Uh, and I did my best to serve a mission. And because of my health issues, I was told there was no way that I could serve a mission. Then one Mission President said, occasionally, Nigel, we got 
an odd number of elders in the world, in the mission, I mean. And at that time, would you be willing to serve as a temporary missionary? And I said, yes, of course. I would love to do that. And I I read on quite a few from a fortnight to three weeks serving with the missionaries at a full-time missionary, usually in my own world. So I had my own callings to do beside that. So it's, you know, sometimes on Sunday, we had to find another member to be with my companion because I was in teaching Sunday school because that was my calling at the time. That's cool. Can't remember where I ever got the time to do, uh, prepare Sunday school lessons. <laughs> and because my parents were non members, we had permission to go to a dinner appointment at my parents every week with the mission president. And the one rule I had was none of the com- none of the missionaries complained. But halfway through a day, I went home for hours sleep. Yeah, so I didn't get too tired. Yeah, because missionary days are long days. That that's it until. Um, my last two companions changed things completely in my life. Um, the first one didn't want to be on a mission, was on a mission because he was promised a brand new car if he served the mission. Didn't believe in the church, didn't like the church, and didn't want to do any work. One morning, I walking up on P day. He said, "Elder, we need to do studying." He looked at me and went, "Nigel, it's P day." I said, "Yes, but P day don't start until after study." And he got up, kicked me off my feet, and and put me on the wall and said, um, Nigel, I'm going to back to bed. You, my, your own bloody piss business. And I went, ah, I don't want to be here. <laughs> you scare me, Elder. I don't want to be here. At the time, the soul leaders were living just down the street from me. So, no, the district leaders were living down the street from me, I mean. So I went and knocked on their door. And they went, where's your companion? I went in bed. And I, they, 
Did you? You look scared. I went. I am. <laughs> I went in. Um, and the soul leaders was there, and they went right at you. We need to get in touch with the mission president. You stay here. One of us will go back to your flat and keep an eye on your companion. I stayed there for about two hours. And by the time I got home to the flat, our flat, we, uh, my companion was told that he was uh, being transferred to another area. Like before he was being transferred, he was going to have a meeting with the mission president. I bumped into him years and years after his mission. And he said that was the best thing that ever happened to him because he had to get the testimony and he did. Wow. So how many people do you know who say can say they have to convert their companion? That's pretty cool, Nigel. Um, a, couple, a couple of years before that, this was in the 80s, I was in, uh, we would have been district meeting in my flat. And the Zoom leaders was over. And we were talking about, and the Zoom leaders started to talk about this brand new cancer that was going to run the Saturdays that that only affects gay men. I don't know why they was talking about it, but they was. And that's the first time I ever heard about HRV. Right. It became... And later on, just after that mission, I realized that if I had really a choice in my life, and the choice was I was getting more and more depressed. I was getting more and more, you know, uh, pressure to think about looking to get a girlfriend. But I know I... Oh, I did go on one date with a woman. We, it was 18, the magic age when you can go on a date one-to-one in the church. We went to this restaurant, and in the middle of that meal, I looked at her and food. In one way, we want so different things. In another way, we're looking for exactly the same thing. We're looking for a, a big man to look after us. This is not fair on you or me. And I decided at that time that I would never date again. That's actually really profound, Nigel. We want the same thing. Um, but it's sort of not possible. That's really profound. 
Keep sharing. Okay. Yeah. I went to the trip event uh, when I was 26 and said, I want to be open about my homosexual, my gayness. And he went, you know that you, if you say, I am gay. That is enough to be excommunicated. What it was in the eighties. And I looked at him and I went, right. But I'm starting to do self-harm. My, I'm not eating. He said, Nigel, try fasting. My mom said on the third, uh, the third day of the fast, and I mean, a strict Mormon fast, no food, no water for three days. You're going to hit, eat, or you're going to hospital. I'm not having you do this anymore. I don't care what the church says. It isn't good for you to not eat for more than for two days. No, I think it's three days, ma'am. But I didn't say that. And she went, you could eat now. I cooked your favorite meal, and you're not going to get off the table until you eat at least a half of it. And I knew, I actually walked in front of a car to get knocked over. The, um, the driver of the car, of course I didn't know at the time, was the second counselor in the present in the bishopric. I then went to the bishop and went, I need help. Can you give me some counseling? And he said, I won't give you any counseling. He said, if you're sexually active. So I came up with a plan. I knew one of the local toilets were being policed by the police. And so I went in there when the police was in there and thinking, you know, it was about an hour I was in there trying to get them to arrest me. <laughs> so I could go back to the bishop and say, look, I got record, I now got a record for assisting in a toilet. And so I ended up in a police station. And what you don't know is the first counselor 
on the state prison sentence with the chief police on the on the right. So I was he was upstairs, I was downstairs thinking, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why am I getting myself in such a mess? And I realized that I had two choices. Either I was eventually going to kill myself or to leave the church. So I left the church. I was offered a place in a squat in London. And in a completely country block, um, country person, moving into a big city with lots of New Yorks and lots of everything was very scary. It was very exciting too, but very scary. And I went to my state president in London and went, I want to be excommunicated. He said, why? I'm having sex every other night with a different man. I'm drinking. I'm smoking things. I'm not living to the standards of church. And I don't want people to think the church allows any of those things. He went, you're not active. I went, so? He said, I'm not going to excommunicate you. This is in the 80s, so it was easier to get excommunicated as a gay man in the 80s than it is now. And... I eventually wrote a letter to my bishop asking for my name to be removed, and it was. And the burden of my, of my church was great. About this time, my legs started to not work as well as it had been. And I was falling down. And I was being stopped in the or in the state. I was being stopped in the street, walking down the street by the police for being drunk when I haven't drunk anything. So I went to the doctor and said, What's this happening? Is my disability getting any worse? And he went, No, it's old age. And I went, I'm 28. They said, it's too old age. And I, I started to use a wheelchair. I, I was given a second-hand wheelchair by a friend of mine who couldn't use the wheelchair anymore because of her disability. She had muscular dystrophy. With mental disability was getting too bad to use a manual wheelchair. So I had our old wheelchair. 
um, treachery on one of my own, and then got then got more expensive chairs. Um, so that is how I became a wheelchair user. Alright, I was, I think, at, at just under 40, I went for HIV tests and it came back positive. And me being a big crybaby as I am, I just sat when I was told that and cried totally for half an hour. The friend who was with me at the time was, was going, it's going to be all right. It's just Nigel being Nigel. He is very emotional. And I'm whispering all night. So he came home, left for work the next day. He did. And I was okay. I wasn't, but I started to cope. And it was just about the time that medicine was getting manageable. That medicine wasn't killing people. Because in the early days of HRV, there was just as many people who died of the medicine as they died of the illness. And in the, the mid-80s, I could have gone to a funeral of a person in their 20s every week of somebody I knew. So that was a really dark period in my life. I didn't do anything with that knowledge for a year. Then I went back to church as a non-member and said, what did I do? to be rebaptized and show us that you are worthy. So I did and they said, right, now you need to uh, have the mission interviews again. Like a missionary is called uh, different to you. I went, right. So, who could it teach me anything? There are several return missionaries in the world. Ask one of them. So, it became my responsibility to find somebody to teach me. I was starting to have a friendship with a young, just returned missionary. And I asked him 
if he would teach me. And he went, yes. And unlike my other white ward, my ward in London knew I would stay. It was quite common knowledge that I was gay. And I went, the first thing is we can't be alone. He went, why? I'm gay. He went, right. So you want me to find somebody to sit in the lessons with us? I went, yes. He said, I can kill two stones with one stone here. He said, I will get one of the sisters to sit in. So I can, I can have some more personal time with her before and afterwards. And we could, and we got to teach you. After two years of that happening, he suddenly went, that's what this is stupid. You know there's nothing going to happen, and I know that nothing's going to happen. I don't care what the world thinks about me. So I want some alone time with you because I want to get to know you as a person. I said, oh, a season where you are putting on more of an act because of your disabilities. So we became friends. I found out after I was baptized that if you are, um, if you have your name removed from the records or are excommunicated, you meant to have an interview for at least the, um, the local 70, I believe. And I didn't. So, Salt Lake didn't know I was rebaptized. And for coming on to two years after I was rebaptized, I had two record numbers. What we found out because um, Salt Lake, were, I managed to get into the temple and everything. I got my diamonds in this period. So that how much I was in the church. I had my diamond. I was going I was going twice a month. Uh, once with the world and once with a friend who was a temple worker. Uh, at the time his wife was pregnant, so she couldn't go to the temple. And I was so um I went and started to do the genealogy work 
by Bishop Cotteletti, by a phone call from the local 70s at Front Salt Lake, saying uh, this member is not a member of the church. Can you have an interview with him? So I went in, and like always, um, as after I joined the church, I always talk somebody else in with me when I have an interview with the uh, church leaders. Uh, I was told originally, Nigel, you know, interviews are confidential. Um, I can't figure the word. Uh, nobody needs to know what happened in the interview. And I said, we are talking about me. We are not talking about personal things about you. So I have the right to let people who I trust know what I'm talking about. And I would rather have an slightly independent person there. So if anything goes wrong, either way, I and you could a witness to it. And I was given that what I later found out was the temple, virtually the temple interview to check if I was worthy enough to be a member. This kept uh, going and I then a couple months afterwards, I started to get a problem with masturbation again. So I went to the bishop and said, all right, uh, we're not going to do anything serious about it, but we are going to tell you can't use your priesthood and you can't um, you can't take the sacrament. All right, fine. What about my home teaching? So you can't do that. And I can't tell my companion why. No. So that I got home, one of my companions and went, Hi, got some bad news. Can't go home teaching. Bishop told me. And he says, why? I say, I can't tell you. <laughs> and I then had a stop masturbating. I went for a witness interview with the state president. And the state president asked me one question at the beginning. Do you call yourself gay? I went to the say, hmm, interventable. You can't have your temple recommends. 
Uh, I went, ah, but I love the temple. <laughs> he said, until you stop calling yourself gay, you can't have a temple recommend. I said, if I don't call myself gay, I can't say I've been honest with my fellow man. And if I'm not being honest with my fellow man, I can't have a temple recommend. So I'm in, I'm in church, what is it, 18, I think it is, where I'm damned if I do and I damned if I don't. I carried on going to church. Members were refusing to take the sacrament when I was passing it. You openly would not catch the tray. I don't think it was common knowledge that I was HIV positive. But there was always that fear. It was always the fear that they was going to catch the day of me too. And I was going down here very fast. My friends got married and left the world. He actually moved to America for three years. He worked in the British Embassy for a little while. He left the church, his wife left the church. I was still going on and off. Never tried to get my temper recommend back. I then then um um the thing about um not baptizing gay members, not baptizing children of gay members came in. What really upset me, like everybody, I think it upset every gay member, LGTB command member in the church. Then, I was really, really struggling to be, to be good, to be um, non-sexual. And at the time, I when I came back, I realized that every time I was shaking hands with somebody, I was getting sick because I, I was on the borderline between AIDS and HRV. I never got AIDS, but I was on the borderline. So I've stopped shaking hands. I just still don't shake hands even to today. It scares me to death, the shaking of hands, please. Then, then corporate <laughs> strike. And I went to the bishop and went, 
I'm living by myself. I'm disabled. And I want some help. Can you help me with getting trouble in, please? I'm not meant to leave the house. And I call on any service that will give me enough food for a week. And he went, um, sorry, Nigel, we're too busy dealing with real disabled people. And I went, what? <laughs> we're too busy dealing with single sisters and brethren with real disabilities. And I went, I won't say what I thought. Mm. I, as, as one of my friend's mother would tell you, she would tell you to get lost but using the CFs. And I, after COVID went back, and none of the members, they put me in behind the back wall, which let me sit with the members, and none of the members talked to me. And after a month for that, I thought, they don't want me. I don't want to be here. What about not going anymore? So I stopped going. Yeah. Um, even if Sean, Seanlin, you're talking to members, is not an official thing in the church. It does happen. And I don't think I'm the only member who has faced a world turning against him or her or they because of the way their life have gone or who they are. So that's basically bringing us back to where we are now. Nigel, if I could give you a big hug, I would. That takes a lot of courage to share your story, and you did it in 45 minutes. You got through 62 years, and you could have spent two hours probably on many segments of your life. Yes, but I knew we didn't have that much time. <laughs> it's not Mormon stories. Um, your re- listeners, um. I had a really strong impression of Nigel on the podcast, and um, you'll have to decide what parts of his story are helpful for you. I I just felt impressed Nigel's story needs to be recorded. I don't, you know, you may live to be 90, you may, you were in the hospital yesterday, you may be in the last year of your life, I don't know, none of us know, but the other thing I thought is, uh, Nigel, I think you've done the very best you can with your life. Um, dealing with being gay, with disabilities in your late 20s, and all the complexities that come with that. Um, 
the church it sometimes worked for you at other times it didn't you had some really good church experience some really painful ones um i loved your love of the temple and also your desire to be honest that you're gay and the integrity that you know there i love you um, being aware of being hiv positive um and being nervous about shaking people's hands because not knowing what that meant for them I just sense, well, Nigel... It's what it would make for me. I know I could have passed on by shaking hands. But whatever they got, I can get. What? Yeah, and so you don't want to get sick. That's a good point. I understand now even better, because we know that AIDS isn't spread by shaking of hands or HIV. Um, but... You know, Nigel, I'm just really moved. You know, listeners, I realize if Nigel were born, if Nigel were 20 right now, he'd have a much better experience in the church. You could identify as gay. You can have a temple recommend. We wouldn't ask you to not be gay. We wouldn't say, you know, go pray, go fast, go serve. Um, and so part of this story is just recognizing our past that it sometimes was really painful and when we know better we do better but i think to heal and to move forward we have to acknowledge the our past and and reconcile with and recognize that it brought pain and harm at times to people like nigel and i think validating nigel's pain and his difficult road to me is part of my baptism covenants it doesn't mean i don't support the church and our leaders. I feel I can do both and just sit with Nigel and hear a little bit about his story. But I, I think about how Jesus would treat Nigel. And I think about all the parables in the new Testament about Jesus being kind and loving and supportive. And every one of those parables, there's principles there that want me to just be kind to Nigel and support Nigel and love Nigel and recognize the complications of his life. Nigel, I'm impressed you're alive. I'm, um, that's maybe part of the story that's helpful for listeners who are wondering if they're suicidal and they're better off being dead, but you, you know, are alive. And I think you've, my life is better because you're alive because I've had some wonderful exchanges with you, met you, but your story, I think, gives people hope for their future and that they can get through really tough times. Um, so I think that's, a really powerful part of your story is you're alive and yeah the church doesn't work for you right now but i think you mentioned you have friend groups and you have peace and i think you've done the very best you can i would say to any young person on this line who is thinking of suicide go to whatever service in your area so if you are in America, seek out Mother Dragons. They will love you. And if you in Utah, they most likely will find a way for a woman who is a mother of an LGTB child to come and visit you and defend you love you and take you to where you need to be.
Suicide is never the answer. It doesn't make things any better for nobody. Richard. I love that. Thank you, Nigel. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Nigel? Um, about two years ago, I was I went to my um, state president and had an interview with him and said, what would happen if I started a date? And it wasn't, and as somebody who is asexual, there won't be any sex. He said, A, there's no such thing as asexual. And B, everybody in a relationship have sex eventually. So there would be a church, you will have a church court. If I find out. It was two years ago. So I think it depends who your church leaders are, how you're going to be treated. Have you got any questions, Richard? No, I I admire you continuing to engage in your church leaders and recognizing that um, it's every church leader may answer things a little bit differently. And um, but I. I have to, you know, my impression is to recognize, to just love you, Nigel. And over and over again, you've turned to church leaders for guidance and you've tried to do the right thing and you recognize at times that you haven't done the right thing. Um, But I think you've just done the best you can. Um, I recognize our church was in a different place in the 80s. I understand, as Nigel has shared, that if you identified as gay in the 70s or 80s, that just puts you sideways with church teachings. The church hadn't separated orientation from behavior. And so I think part of Nigel's story is recognizing the past and and the difficult road that Nigel and other gay Latter-day Saints have walked that are older. Doesn't make it easier for the young ones, but you older ones... <laughs> I don't want to say you exist just to help the younger ones, but you've helped our church, our society, as you've shared your stories and caused people hearts to change. Um, I know when I was a YSA bishop, listening to gay men significantly changed me because I listened to their stories and I realized they didn't choose this and they can't unchoose this. So it's my job to support. Um, So I just, I don't fault you for not being active in the church right now, Nigel. Um, I just think you are doing the very best you can. Um, I love that you were bringing back memories, Nigel, because when I served in England and not from 1980 to 1982, there were times when my companion was a local Britishman. Um, it was maybe for just a few days between transfers and I thought, and they were terrific. I thought of the sacrifice they made and um, their love of the missionary work and to bring people into Christ. And I recognize you are one of those. 
and did a lot of serving along the way. Um, and I love your comments to people that are feeling suicidal, that it's never the answer. Nigel, I think God loves you. And I think this is not, you know, it's just my feeling, listeners, that when Nigel um, meets his Heavenly Father, he will give him a big hug and, and just say, you've done the best you can and welcome home. And I'm proud of you. And the Savior will be there to continue to walk with you. And and I recognize our church hasn't always supported you and society hasn't always supported you and maybe friends and family. And I just think you've done the best you can. And hopefully um, we can act on impressions in our circle of influence to better support the Nigel Bowles in our life and to be prepared for those conversations when Nigel, someone like Nigel opens up and has the courage to talk about his life. So those are some of my thoughts, Nigel, but I want to give you the last word. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, even when the dog is, when we get dog, the only person who can get you through to tomorrow is we yourself. Learn to love yourself. Learn to believe in yourself. I still struggle with that. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy, but it means if everybody, like a few times, what I didn't say on the all the right when it became common knowledge, the old world didn't talk to me. I became the from the golden boy where if missionaries needed somebody to teach, they came to me. If if uh, anybody needed a home teaching companion, they came to me to be. Um, the person who nobody talked to overnight. And it can happen even today, you know, that you would lose your all of your friends. So you need to believe in yourself and you need to start anew. And it's not easy. That is possible. Thank you, Nigel. You have wonderful wisdom um, in your six decades on the earth. And listeners, I'll just, I love Nigel's closing comment. Love yourself and believe in yourself. And that is not influenced then by other people. Um, and that is a really good way forward is to love yourself and believe yourself. So. My friend Nigel Bull from the UK, I'm so glad to have had you on the podcast. I love you, brother. I believe in you. And I think your words help others, especially perhaps those in a really dark spot. You have a very thoughtful, steady voice. So this is Nigel Bull and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <music>